to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. Darla, your uncle will see you now. All right, let's see those pearly whites. I'm a piranha. Then the Amazon. And a piranha's a fish, just like your present. <laughs> oh, no. Poor little guy. He's dead. Shark bait! Yeah, fishy, fishy, fishy. Uh, Must have left your present on the car, sweetie. <laughs> I'll go and get it. He's still alive! He's not dead! What's happening? Why is he playing dead? He's going to get flushed down the toilet. He's going to get out of here. Yeah. He's going to get flushed. What a smart little guy. <gasps> oh, no, not the trash can. Nemo, no. Hey, hey, I found his dad. Where's Nemo? Where is he? Dentist, dentist. He's over there. What's a dentist? What is that? <gasps> Nigel, get in there. I can't go in there. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> what the? <laughs> visit to a dentist ever um but my favorite my favorite part of that scene or at least my favorite part for this morning is just like the kid and all the other adults sitting in the waiting room who can't see the fish and the bird they can't see all the chaos they just hear the scream and they hear the drills they see um the dentist trying to struggle to hold them down and they're just like this is terrifying uh, is this is this what it's going to be like going to the dentist now I know, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are, you know, already apprehensive about going to the dentist, but could you imagine if that was what you would hear coming from the, you know, from the patient before you? <laughs> you know, and even without all the, the fish and the birds and extra chaos, just, just who does feel that way? Who is apprehensive about the dentist? Show of hands, who hates going to the dentist? Okay, I see a lot of hands, especially on the, on the left side here. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't like going to the dentist, but now here's the thing. I... I love going to the dentist. I loved growing up when I was growing up going to the dentist. And you want to know why? Because my dentist 
never failed to get really excited about how great my teeth were. Like every time, every time I went for an, in for an appointment, he would ask again if I ever had braces and I would have to remind him that I never did. In fact, my teeth make my dentist jealous. He always tells me, ah, oh, if I had your teeth, it is pretty wonderful. It makes you feel really good about yourself. Um, now you might assume, Tyler, you, if you have such amazing teeth, I assume this means you also do a really good job of taking care of them and keeping them healthy. I mean, obviously I must floss after every meal, use mouthwash and brush at least twice a day. Well, you would be wrong. Um, I rarely floss. I only ever once owned bubblegum flavored mouthwash when I was a kid. Um, and while I always make sure to brush my teeth in the morning, lest I go out with some bad breath, um, I'm not that great about brushing my teeth again before I go to bed. Um, yeah, I know. I should be better. I'm just not. And, and, you know, so I know I need to do a better job of taking care of my teeth and my body. Um, and I've always been happier with one of those than the other. And we are, well, we all are probably aware of some things that we need to do better to take care of, a, of our bodies. But there's just so much that we have to do. You know, we have to eat healthy. Probably we should eat more vegetables. Um, like chocolate. It's a vegetable. Um, we know that we should exercise. Um, we should, but at what cost? It's the worst. Um, you know, then we, then we shower, shave on wanted hair, we trim our fingernails, we deal with acne, even though puberty ended long ago. Why is this still a thing? Um, we use lotion when we're dry. We have to use gold bond when we're moist. Somehow, as we get older, you kind of have to deal with both things at the same time. Yeah, and I'm not, even, I'm not even 30 yet, you know, and so I, I have no real place to complain about getting older, but it just gets worse, doesn't it? That's what I hear. Uh, yet when you're a kid, all you gotta do is you just gotta brush your one tooth, you know, and it's easy, but taking care of our bodies, yeah. But as you get older, taking care of our bodies is just, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot, as pastor, as pastor and author Tish Harrison Warren observes, so much of life unavoidably is just maintenance. Things need upkeep or they fall apart. We spend much of our days and much of our energy saving off inevitable entropy and decay. This is especially true of our bodies. Having a body is a lot of work. And so as we continue our series based on that book, seeking to find and to establish rituals in the ordinary everyday liturgy of our lives in order to draw closer to God, how can we do that? with the unglamorous maintenance of our bodies. You know, we've talked about waking up, sitting in traffic, drinking tea and losing keys, but I mean, what is more ordinary and less holy than brushing our teeth and maintaining our bodies? So first we have to ask, like, what's, what's the point? I mean, what's the point of having a body? What's, what's the point of doing all this maintenance? Because um, historically we, we do get some pretty negative messages uh, from the church about bodies. You know, either the message we hear is to ignore the body in favor of a disembodied spirits floating on clouds spirituality, or, or instead to focus all our attention on policing and, and denigrating the body as this like dirty source of evil. You know, as Dave said a few weeks ago about pleasure, many characterize Christians in the same way, same general way H.L. Mencken ironically described Puritans as people with a haunting fear that someone somewhere might be happy. And doesn't that crackdown on pleasure often come down on the body as well? I mean, so much of that pleasure the Puritans were afraid of, like sex or dancing, come from the physical body. And, but, but culture isn't necessarily better 
um, and gives us two other dangerous messages. You know, either our bodies are meant to be used up and abused. You know, let's just get up, get as much out of our bodies as possible, no matter how quick we burn up and burn out. Or on the other hand, our bodies are meant to be worshipped for their beauty or strength. You know, later today, we will gather for a cultural event celebrating the power of the human body as men smash their bodies against one another to prove who is strongest while beautiful women try to sell us stuff. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying the Super Bowl is inherently evil or watching it is bad, um, but just consider the messaging that we're receiving from culture. And, and because of all these different messages, we can have some pretty complicated relationships with our bodies. You know, we can come away thinking that we're just minds or, or spirits. Our bodies are secondary to be cast aside one day. For a lot of us, our bodies are a source of, of great shame or confusion and pain. My body has been one of my greatest sources of shame all my life. I was always the fat kid. I was always the slow kid. I can never keep up with my friends or I can never succeed at the sports I love. Our bodies are holding us back, limiting us, and some of us carry carry with them constant pain or a disability that prevents us from, from doing what others do or, or what we hope to do. But even more, I mean, aren't our bodies the source of our sin and brokenness? Um, we read Romans 8.13 and we hear it translated like this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit put, the spirit you put to, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Or what about what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5? So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus sounds like he's telling us to maintain the body, not maintain it, right? So I repeat, what's the point of the body? of doing all this maintenance? How can brushing our teeth possibly draw us closer to God? Um, and so we've considered what the church and what culture has told us about our bodies, but what do we hear from God directly? Turning to God, we hear something very different. You know, I'll come back to the scripture from Romans and Matthew, but first let's just consider, let's go back to the beginning. Let's consider the story of creation. For six days, God creates. God speaks, everything comes into being. By God's voice, reality is created and defined, and each day, God sees that what was created is good. But on the sixth day, God takes a different approach to creation. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Chapter 2 retells the story of creation and tells us that God formed us out of the dirt. And then God breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. When God creates humanity, God doesn't create us the same as God creates everything else. God crafted us out of the earth. God made us in God's own image. And then God breathed life into us. To create light from the darkness, um, to create the heavens and the earth, God only needed to speak. But to create humanity, to bring God's image alive in us, God formed our bodies by hand and breathed life directly into our lungs. The creation of humanity is so much more intimate and personal for God. And after God creates man and woman, God doesn't just say that we are good, but instead 
Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. All of the stars in the sky, all of the depths of the sea, all the mightiest mountains, all the creatures of the earth were made by God and declared to be good. Upon creating man, God declares us, all of us, from our head to our toes, from our breath to our bodies, to be very good. So just consider the God who made all the wonders of the universe made our bodies. Meditate that on that for a second. The God who made all the wonders of the universe made our bodies. We are more than just brains on sticks or spirits in tombs. We are fully embodied mind and soul and made by God. C.S. Lewis calls us amphibians, half spirit and half animal. But what about Paul's writing about flesh and Jesus' suggestion to mutilate our bodies to avoid sin? Well, when Paul writes, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, he's using the same Greek word that John uses when he writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John is writing about the incarnation of Jesus, but flesh in John obviously isn't, doesn't hold the same sinful connotation as when Paul uses it in Romans. In this case, we're better served by we're better served by another translation, which translates Paul's flesh to sinful nature and John's flesh to human. Flesh can mean many things. It's used many different ways in the New Testament, um, but it can't mean all of those things all at the same time. Our sin is not somehow contained only to our physical bodies, but rather our broken condition as children separated from our Father's will. And then Jesus' teaching, too, it, it similarly does not, isn't condemning or belittling the body. Instead, Jesus is valuing the, the body when we consider what his full teaching is. Jesus is teaching about the dangers of sin, specifically lust, which is just as dangerous as adultery. In fact, he's equating a sin that is contained to our minds and our imagination with a physical sin of the body. Sin is not worse when we physically act on it. Sin is sin, whether it's mental or physical. In fact, Jesus teaching to cut off our hand or gouge out our eye, which is intentionally dramatic, um, just to make, to make a point, rather than maybe be a little literal command, is only suggested to spare the whole body of an even worse fate. Our bodies are central to our life in Christ and inseparable from our souls. So it is because of the importance of our bodies that the Bible gives us laws around their use, such as for sexual purity or moderation in food and drink. That's why Jesus reiterates it here. So these teachings, when we understand them properly, don't condemn our physical bodies as something secondary to our spirits to be one day discarded, but they also remind us of something else important. Jesus had a body. Our God is embodied as we are embodied. He ate, he slept, he drank and enjoyed good meals apparently because he was criticized for it. Jesus had a body that he had to take care of and maintain. And imagine all the weird little unholy experiences that come with having a body. Jesus experienced that too. Now, I don't know where dental technology was at 2,000 years ago, but just as we brush our teeth and we care for our bodies, Jesus had to clean his body when it got dirty, and he had to maintain it just like we do. Jesus understood and empathized with the human needs from possessing a body. And just as he offered forgiveness and spiritual care, Jesus often cared for and provided for people's bodily needs. He healed, he fed, 
he offered rest. Tish Warren expresses how amazing that is. We Christians believe in a God who by becoming human embraced human embodiment in fullness right down to the toenails. Because of Christ's embodiment, the way we care for our bodies and our meaningless necessities that keep us well enough to do the real work of worship and discipleship. Instead, the small tasks of caring for our bodies, as quotidian as they are, act as an embodied confession that our creator, who mysteriously became flesh, has made our bodies well and deserves worship in and through our very cells, muscles, tissues, and teeth. We are embodied people who believe in an embodied God. We are more than brains and spirits, but we have a physical body, an experience shared with us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus not only shares the experience of embodiment with us, but his body is broken for us. He personally carried our sins, on the, sins in his body on the cross so that, when, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. And this is the good news of the gospel. Our God became human. Jesus was incarnated in a human body. He experienced physical need and weakness. He hungered, he thirsted. his body was broken so that ours could be healed. In light of this, Tish Warren asks, then what would it mean to believe in the gospel? Not just in my brain, but also in my body. How can we embody our faith? How can we embody the gospel so that it is not just on our mind, but physically part of us? For this, consider posture. Consider how we orient ourselves towards God, towards Christ, towards the cross. Our minds don't just control our bodies, but the postures we assume can influence our emotions and our attitudes. I, I got experienced this a little bit. Uh, last weekend when I went with Megan and tried yoga as part of the morning at the museum event at the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum. We were in their little garden among desert plants and wildlife taking part in an exercise um, that was more embodied than anything I had ever done before. You know, I know with yoga there can be some weird spiritual elements consider, um, you know, and connected with nature and spirit animals. And yeah, that was there uh, when we did it. But as we stretched and twisted beneath the blue sky, the ritual engaged my whole body unlike anything I had experienced as I felt in touch with every joint and muscle in the physical body that God had made just for me. Um, so if you have reservations, but, you know, but ever do try uh, yoga, um, instead of trying to connect to nature, connect to God in nature. Instead of connecting to a spirit animal, connect to your spirit and body that God designed for you. Um, but for me, by starting my day out, by practicing sensing and feeling my body, by taking a posture of connection to God and creation, and in God's creation in and around me, my whole day was shaped by that. I was relaxed and present in this special time that I shared with my wife. Now, I'm not saying that everyone should go do yoga, only that I experienced the impact that the posture of my body could have on orienting my mind and spirit towards God and those around me. What postures are we taking before God? What postures maybe should we try or can we in, um, here in church or outside of church? How can we integrate our bodies and our spirituality? So for example, um, consider kneeling. 
You know, we don't often get down on our knees, not anymore, but that was a very common response to Jesus. People knelt to Jesus and fell at his feet all the time, whether they were people seeking healing, um, such as a woman who had heard about him and, and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. Or in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. There were people with authority bowed and knelt at Jesus' feet. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Roman soldiers, the temple guards... As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. His own disciples knelt. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. And even evil spirits knelt before Jesus. Whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. And when Jesus was still some distance away, the demon-possessed man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. Time and time again, people assume the posture of kneeling before Jesus. Kneeling before someone is embarrassing and humbling. It is vulnerable. It acknowledges their position or power and our own lack. Humility can be a hard thing to simply make ourselves feel by force of will, but when we kneel as the many knelt before Jesus, it is a humility that we feel in our whole bodies. How often do we kneel before God? Do we kneel when we pray? Do we adjust our posture or do we just pray as we are? C.S. Lewis writes about the impact of assuming a humble posture in prayer in the Screwtape Letters, a series of letters written by this character of a demon who's giving his nephew advice on how to tempt and mislead a young Christian away from God. And remember, as I read this quote, this character screw tape wants to destroy us. His enemy is God, and he wants to take our relationship with God away. One of their poets, Coolridge, has recorded, has recorded that he did not pray with moving lips and bended knees, but merely composed his spirit to love and indulged a sense of supplication. That is the exact sort of prayer we want. And since it bears superficial resemblance to the prayer of silence as practiced by those who are very far advanced in the enemy service, clever and lazy patients can be taken in for a very long time. At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers, for they constantly forget what you must remember, that they are animals, and that what their bodies do affects their souls. So how do you pray? What postures do you assume? Have you ever tried to kneel as you pray or, or lay face down? We often bow our heads and that's not nothing. Um, that is also a humbling position, but maybe try taking a step further. Uh, let me challenge each of us um, when we pray this week, or actually, let me back up on that. Let me just challenge to make sure that we each take some time to pray this week. Um, I know I don't always take the time every week to pray, but, but let's take some, make sure we do take some time this week to pray, to go before God and open up to God, to speak and listen. Um, and, when, and when you do, uh, try and take the humble posture of kneeling. Orient your body in humility before God. And then what other postures can we take before God? We'll consider worship. 
David worshiped God with his whole body. He danced in the streets before the Ark of the Covenant as it was returned to the temple in Jerusalem. When he was told that his worship was undignified for the king, he responded, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. There are some songs when we play that I cannot help but respond physically. When we sing Defender, I beat my chest to the beat of the song. When we play Build Your Kingdom Here, I have to move to the back so that I have room to worship God with my voice and body. And I know we never tell people here how to worship. We provide space for everyone here to worship God however um, you feel comfortable. There are journals around the room. There's our art bar in the back um, to, for everyone and anyone to use to connect with God. And that's not going to change. But just this once, just today, I'm going to ask you to consider your posture during the second worship set that the band will come up to play in a little bit. Consider your posture. Get a little uncomfortable. Stand up. Raise your hands. Clap to the beat. Dance if you feel brave. I promise that there will be no judgment here today. But consider how is your body worshiping God? We are embodied people worshiping an embodied God. Let us praise him with our minds, our souls, our bodies, and our limbs. When it all comes together, it is art, as Tish Warren summarizes, that when we use our bodies for their intended purpose, in gathered worship, raising our hands, or singing, or kneeling, or in our average day, sleeping, or savoring a meal, or jumping, or hiking, or running, or having sex with our spouse, or kneeling in prayer, or nursing a baby, or digging a garden, it is glorious as glorious as a great cathedral being used just as its architect had dreamt that it would be. You may feel that this has gotten a little bit away from brushing teeth. So here's what I want you to do this week. While you brush your teeth this week and you look in the mirror, assuming, you know, for most of us, we brush our teeth and, you know, at the sink with the mirror ahead of us. Um, but while you brush your teeth this week and look in the mirror, Thank God for creating and for loving your body. Delight in the body God designed and gave to you. Thank God for what you like about it. For me, it's my smile. My dentist is right. <laughs> I agree. So does my wife. Very important. And the mirror is not, the mirror's not always friendly. But as we take care of and maintain our bodies, we have an opportunity to pause and consider that it is easy to look into the mirror and take stock of all that we feel is lacking or wrong about our bodies. Instead, we must learn the habit of beholding our, gift, our bodies as a gift and learn to delight in the body God has made for us, that God loves, and that God will one day redeem and make whole then I want to challenge you to choose a way to love your body this week. Feed it well, pamper it, buy some nice soap or, or something that, that takes care of your body in a special way. Now, I'm not encouraging you to worship your body, but instead to orient yourself towards God's creation in you and your physical body. Now, I know men that when it comes to taking care of our bodies, or, or um, a lot of that stuff can be labeled unmanly. You know, we're supposed to be tough, and our skin is supposed to show it. Um, 
you know, with callous cracked hands from a hard day's work with dirt and grain under our fingernails, our skin should feel like sandpaper and we should smell like sweat and musk because we're men. Yeah, and that's dumb. <laughs> that is very dumb. Don't, don't do that. Now, I, I've had pedicures. I got a facial once and I've done a face mask with my wife and that all felt great. Yeah, they look weird. That's why you do it at home and you don't then show the picture to everybody and all your friends, unless you're me, because I like that verse from David. I will become even more undignified than this. That is my life motto. Yeah, I've done a face mask. It all felt really good. Um, it helps you, you know, it helps you connect to your body and, and, and appreciate what God has made. So if you've been hesitant to try something like that, just do it. Just go for it. Again, no judgment. But also, again, this, it's your choice. I just want to encourage you to choose a way to love your body this week. And if a good workout, for example, is what you need to take care for and appreciate your body, then do that this week. Just choose a way to love your body this week as God loves your body. God made all of us. And then finally, in all the messy, undignified, unholy acts of maintenance and care for your body that you do throughout the week, just be aware of your body. Be aware that Jesus had a body just like yours. What is the posture that you take? How are you orienting yourself towards God? Be aware of your body. Be aware that Jesus had a body just like yours. We are embodied people with an embodied God. Now, before we close, uh, I want to share with you about my niece, Lily, who... Lily may have, as she grows up, may have a very different relationship with her dentist than I did. Lily was born on my birthday a little more than a year ago, which was awesome. Um, but to our surprise, Lily was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate. Now, I think she is absolutely beautiful. But my fear for Lily as she grows up is that she won't think that. Now, she had surgery on her lip when she was a few months old, and as you can see, it went really well. Um, and, and she is still brilliant. And just this last Monday, she had, surg or last, just this last Monday, she had surgery on her palate. Um, and as you can see, she's doing really well there, too. Look at that. That's, those are the day of the surgery. She's, she's doing wonderfully. Um, but I don't know what effects um, this is going to have on her as she grows up. I don't know how this will affect her teeth or her speech, or just how she sees herself. So I wanna tell her, I wanna tell Lily, as she grows up, and as she looks in the mirror, and as she brushes her teeth, this body, imperfect and unwhole, is the body that God made for you. And with this body, you can do amazing things. You can care for others and serve them you can sing and you can dance before God. You can bow down to God and you can lift others up. You can love others. You can love yourself. You can love God. With this body, you can sit and rest and simply be with God. The, the, doctors, the doctors could heal your body, but Jesus can make you whole because his body was broken for you. As you brush your teeth, Lily, pause and reflect. I am polishing dust, and yet I am not only dust. When God formed people from the dust, he breathed into us through our lips and teeth. 
his very breath. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at DamascusRoadTucson.com.